Welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFISFM. Your host on Senior Moments. Really happy that we have today with us Heather Lamb, who uh, is uh, working with the uh, Spinal Cord Injury BC. In particular, she's known, I believe, internally as the InfoLine Services Lead. I know Heather as an activist and a social worker that works for Spinal Coat BC, and we're very happy to have you here today. I know we're going to have way too much to talk about, so we might have to do this again in the new year, but uh, really happy that you're here, Heather, and uh, thinking maybe we could start with you introducing yourself a little bit. Thank you, Don. So my name is Heather Lamb. I am a social worker with Spinal Cord Injury BC. So my role involves navigating the medical and social services systems with clients, as well as doing some advocacy, some case management, a little bit of counseling, and more advocacy. <laughs> um, I also grew up in Prince George, and I happen to be visually impaired, so I have experience with disability and accessibility from the personal perspective as well, and a couple of seniors in my life that I provide a lot of supports for. Oh, that's wonderful. Really an excellent choice for someone to, uh, to interview, mm-hmm. I think. One of the things that uh, we talked about um, before the, the show and just in terms of what we wanted to cover was the broad sort of category of housing. And I know there's all sorts of things around that in terms of accessibility um, and just whether there is availability um, all the questions that relate to housing, uh, which could take us to the Accessibility Act, many things. So I wondered if you might want to dive into the housing question. Sure, I'd love to. So housing is my least favorite question to get at work because it's the hardest one to help people successfully answer. So most of my clients are wheelchair users. So they're looking for wheelchair accessible housing. But it, this is also relevant for seniors who are maybe having a bit of difficulty with stairs, using a walker or a cane, maybe balance issues, some vision issues, or just not having the energy to climb up multiple flights of stairs to get into a home. So there's a lot of things that go into accessible housing, but the reality is that we're not building very much of it. So people who are on the wait list for accessible housing, whether subsidized or regular rent, are waiting for years to find a place that's properly accessible for them, or they're living in a place where they literally cannot bathe or cannot use the bathroom or have to crawl in and out up the stairs. So there's a lot of problems with the housing that we're building, as well as our existing housing stock. And that means that people are either living in substandard housing that's not meeting their needs, or they're forced into seniors housing long before they really want to or need to be there. Um, so yeah, we're looking, we're seeing a lot of multifamily housing in Prince George that's been built in the last couple of years. And most of it is not very accessible. Uh, most of it is level entry, so that means no steps to get in. But the bathrooms in particular are not being built to be wheelchair accessible or to meet the needs of most seniors. And that means that people are struggling to get their daily living needs met. I do hear, um, because I sit on some committees myself, related to um, issues impacting seniors in particular, about uh, in particular having to wait to the point where it's almost beyond the need where people have to actually take other types of housing, perhaps even long-term care, with the kinds of weights they're having to having to endure. And I think also just the challenge of being able to, I was going to say get support. I mean, we do have, you know, different folks in the community. Yourself is one. Uh, the Council of Seniors also has someone who's trying to help with housing, but it ends up being mostly referring to things that aren't necessarily there right now. Or they're there, but they're the wait lists are so long that they're almost useless. So for example, BC Housing has wheelchair accessible housing and housing for seniors, which is great. But once people get into that housing, they tend to stay for, well, the rest of their lives, which means that it's not available for the next person on the wait list. And that means people are living in that substandard housing that's not meeting their needs, or they're being forced to make a choice about long-term care before they should be making that choice or they're looking at things like the chateau which is somewhat wheelchair accessible but it's also very expensive per month and it's not the type of housing that everybody wants to be in 
Absolutely. If someone came to you about the need for housing that was accessible, what would be the process you would go through to try and support them, even recognizing that you may not be able to because of the circumstances in terms of availability? So the first thing we would look at is whether their current housing can be renovated to meet their needs, whether it's putting up grab bars or renovating for a walk-in shower or maybe putting a ramp in. Now, those things tend to be fairly expensive in an existing house. It's much cheaper to put them in into a new housing. But anyway, that's a different story. But we would look at the renovation program through BC Housing, which some people might qualify for to get a little bit of financial help with that change in housing. We might talk to a contractor to see whether it's even possible to make those changes. And then if that's not an option, whether financially or logistically, then we would start talking about the different options within the community, whether that's BC housing for subsidized units or market rent housing. There are some units that are somewhat accessible, so that might be an option. And then we would talk about things like the Chateau or Riverbend, possibly assisted living or long-term care, depending on the person's needs and how much support they need. So a number of options, but a lot of potential obstacles to actually being able to access those options. Is that fair? Yes, that's very fair. So there are buildings that are better than others. And the realtors, the good realtors have an idea of which the ones those buildings are. And I also have a, sort of a list in my head of which ones we might start with. But again, that's assuming that the person has the money to either afford market rent or to buy a condo in a building that's more accessible than some of the others. And we know that a lot of seniors simply don't have those financial options. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I do here as well, is just that there is no resources uh, individually, the the seniors themselves, um, to be able to access even potentially some of these things. So you must get put in the position of of uh, do, doing some advocacy work around housing. Yeah, we definitely do. So we sit on a number of provincial committees uh, working with the provincial government to try and encourage them to make better well, to have better regulations, better legislation, better building codes to require more accessibility in new housing and or to improve the renovation program so that it's financially a better option for people. So, for example, right now, if somebody wants to put in, say, a walk-in shower and it's logistically possible, they can apply for money through the province, through BC Housing. However, they do have to pay upfront for that renovation and then be reimbursed by the province. And again, mm. a lot of people simply don't have the resources to put out $20,000 and then wait for reimbursement a few months later. That's asking a lot of people who are living on pensions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have um, the opportunity to speak directly with the province about some of these things? Or through your organization, perhaps? That's right. Through Spinal Cord Injury BC, we have a number of staff members who sit on a variety of committees, both locally, provincially, and federally, to try and make some of these changes. So we do have an avenue of communication. That said, it's not going to create instant change. It's a slow process. So for anybody who's struggling today, I don't have a good answer for the housing question, which is why it's a question I don't like getting. And it's also one of the most common questions that I get. It's a frustrating one for us uh, as much as it is for people who are looking for housing. Absolutely. I'm wondering if you've noticed or if the work you're doing would allow you to notice whether there's any more difficulties in northern British Columbia than there might be in in a larger urban southern area? Or is it about the same? I think the difficulties are different. There's definitely more wheelchair accessible housing in, say, the Vancouver area. It's also significantly significantly more expensive. Mm. So that's the, the challenge that people have to think about when they're looking at where should they be living is availability of housing, but also availability of being able to pay for it and having the resources. Uh, so somebody who needs, say, a medical specialist quite regularly may be better off living in Vancouver and paying that extra cost. Somebody who doesn't need a 
regular medical specialist may be able to live in Prince George and uh, not pay for travel down to Vancouver. So there's pros and cons to wherever people choose to live. And I don't think that any part of the province has it figured out yet. So really, in terms of access to accessible housing, it's although... We may feel sometimes on various fronts that Northern BC is a little bit less serviced. In fact, in this situation, there's problems everywhere, really, if we look at it like that. Oh, absolutely. I work with people from around the province and we hear complaints about uh, the lack of services, lack of availability and costs from pretty much everybody in every part of the province. So the nuances are a little bit different, but I don't think there's anywhere that has this figured out well. That's really good information, actually, Heather, for our, our listeners to know, which is that, of course, Spinal Cord BC is about all of BC, so that some of these questions, um, if people are listening to the podcast after the show or listening now who are not in northern British Columbia, um, Spinal Cord Injury BC is actually a- available for these kinds of questions for anyone across the province. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we don't ask for a medical diagnosis when people call us. We simply say, hey, what do you need? And then we try to help them find it. So if a senior is looking for accessible housing, we are more than happy to point them in the right direction and help them try and figure out the best options. We do maintain a marketplace site online that has listings of accessible housing, both market rent, subsidized and places to buy. Now, full disclosure, there isn't a lot on the site because there simply isn't a lot on the market, but it is a place where people can look to see what might be available in their area. That's very good information as well. I did not realize that. So, albeit limited, if people wanted to look and see where there might be accessible housing available, and that would be across the province? It is. Um, Most of the listings are in Vancouver, but we do occasionally get ones from other parts of the province. And whenever I hear about one that I think might be fairly accessible, we try and get more information from the owner or the landlord to try and post it just so that people have access to the best information possible, even though it's very limited. Excellent. Excellent. It tells me that I should go to your website and have a look at what else (laughs) might be available there. Yes, definitely. And if people have questions, feel free to give us a call or an email and we'll try and find local resources that might help uh, people find what they need. So we'll do this again at the end of the show, but perhaps now you could also um, give people the both the website, uh, an email and a phone number. Sure. So our local phone number in Prince George is 250-563-6942. And we also have a 1-800 number, 1-800-689-2477. And our website is pretty easy. It's sci-bc.ca or simply Google Spinal Cord Injury BC and it will be the first thing that comes up. Excellent. We'll do that again at the end of the show in case someone didn't have a pencil or, or paper handy. But I think knowing that there is information on that site, and people may not have gone there, um, will be quite helpful, I think. I would also encourage people to talk to your local MLA and let them know that accessible housing and affordable housing, because they're both, they often go together, that those two things really matter. And if people have the right housing, they can stay in the community for a lot longer and stay out of the long-term care system, which I I think most of us would prefer to have choice about where we live for as long as possible. Absolutely. And that actually raises one other related question, and that's the question of of home support. Yeah, home support is a huge thing for my clients, but also for a lot of seniors. So this would involve things like getting help to bathe, to dress, to get in and out of bed, to use the toilet, to take medication, those types of tasks. It's what we call personal care. And with the right personal care support, people can stay at home for a lot longer. Um, If people are falling while bathing or there's the potential for falling, that's a very quick trip to emergency and to the long-term care system. So having a little bit of help or the right equipment in the bathroom um, can keep people at home for a lot longer. Uh, so ma- the main home support option is through your local health authority. Your doctor can refer you or you can self-refer to home and community care. There are wait lists to get onto the personal care or home support systems, but you will get people coming into the home to help with some of these tasks. 
there may be a financial cost for people depending on your level of income. Uh, that's obviously quite problematic and that's a, a rant for another day perhaps, but the help is there for people. Um, the other option for people who have higher care needs, so for our members, people with quadriplegia, for example, but also a senior with higher physical care needs, there is a directed funding program uh, called the Choices in Supports for Independent Living. That is a mouthful. We call it CECL for short. Again, Choices in Supports for Independent Living. Basically, the health authority assesses a person for the number of hours that they would need help with, and they give them an equivalent amount of money so the person can hire their own caregivers. Seniors do qualify for this program if they require enough personal care support. So one of the things about Cecil that I hear is the need to to have it accessible in smaller communities where you may not be able to get the kind of home care that you need. Is that something that you also hear? It is, yes. Cecil in small towns can be a challenge to find the right people to hire. It is available in every community, but like I said, sometimes it's hard to find enough people to hire to meet the person's needs. In extenuating circumstances, people can hire family members. Uh, there's an extra form that has to be filled out for that, so it's not normally granted. But if a person is in a very rural area or, for example, speaks a different language and can't find caregivers who also speak that language, they might be granted an exception in those cases to hire family, and that can help ease the gap. That was one of the questions that I had posed to me was whether family could do it. So it's possible, but there's an extra step and it sounds like it's not a regular thing. That's right. The During COVID, uh, that re restriction was relaxed so that people could hire family to mm -hmm. reduce the number of people coming into homes. Uh, but it's expected that that will be changed fairly soon. So people would have to go through that extra step of requesting an exemption. Okay. Okay. So if you are able to get um, home support, is this the same as the support that the seniors advocate spoke about in her recent report on long-term care, where one of her recommendations was that people end up in long-term care when they don't necessarily need to be there or could have stayed at home longer if they had that support. And she, the question or the, the issue, one of the issues she raised was the cost and the fact that we are one of, I think it was only two provinces, who are still charging That's right. So there is a daily charge for home support. It's waived for people who are on provincial disability. Um, there's a few other exceptions as well for people who are very low income. Uh, but people might be paying out of pocket for that care or for a portion of that care. And it can add up quite quickly depending on the person's needs. So in some cases, it's actually cheaper for people to live in long-term care and pay 80% of their income to the long-term care facility than to receive a little bit of home support at home to meet that need that they have, which is incredibly frustrating. It's not right. And that's another thing to talk to your MLA about. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not right. Because if we look at the impact and cost in terms of the healthcare system, surely it is less expensive, mm -hmm. less impact, better quality of life for the person involved if they can stay in their home with the support they need. Absolutely. Yeah, we're big proponents of people staying at home or at least having choice about where they live and how they live for as long as possible. And I will say we have people with high level quadriplegia. So people who have no movement at all below uh, their neck or their head, uh, who are living in the community at home because they have the right support set up. It is possible, but it is It's a challenge to get it set up, and that requires either the person themselves and or their family to jump through a number of hoops to make it happen. And it's not right, because we know that people tend to be a lot happier when they're living at home, when they have choice, when they can choose what they want to eat, when they want to go to bed, what activities they want to do. All of those things make for a much healthier, better lifestyle, but that's not always supported with our current system. 
Absolutely, and it it reminds me also of uh, the question of people being able to not have to to be in long term care sooner than they want to be, and they should have that choice. But we have to take a break now. We'll come back and talk more um, after we have these messages. There isn't much that a country singer hasn't covered in a song. If you want to hear songs about new love, lost love, drinking, fighting, cowboys, trains, traveling, and everything else, then tune into the Country Cavalcade every Wednesday, 6 to 8, where I cover music from the 20s to the 90s, as well as today's traditional independent artists. You'll hear from such greats as the Carter family, Johnny Horton, Vern Charlton, and so much more. The Country Cavalcade, Wednesday, 6 to 8, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM with me, Corey Walker. There are a couple of great events happening at the Heart Pioneer Center this holiday season. Just $20 gets you a seat at their annual Christmas dinner this Thursday evening with all the trimmings. For $45, you can take part in the New Year's Eve celebration, dancing to the music of B-Side. For tickets and more information, stop by the Heart Pioneer Center or give them a call at 250-962-6712. The Heart Pioneer Center, keeping you involved in the heart. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny today, wind from the south at 20 gusted to 40, a high of 7. Increasing cloudiness tonight, wind from the south at 20 becoming light late this evening, a low of minus 3. For Wednesday, clearing in the morning, wind at 15K, a high of 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 5. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 Hi everyone, we're, we're here yeah. with uh, Heather Lamb talking about uh, a whole number of questions related to accessibility and housing at the moment. One of the things before we uh, move on to talk about the Accessibility Act in BC, which I would like to hear from Heather about, just to say the point that you made about the wish for people to have some control over what happens in their lives and how they how they live it. And I would just say that we've had a lot of discussion of late about long-term care as well. And I would just assert the need for that same kind of perspective in long-term care so that people can make the decisions about how their life is within what is supposed to be their home. And so just I think it aligns totally with the points that you've been making as well about being able to stay perhaps outside the the long-term care system. But once you're in it, you should still be able to make those choices. Absolutely. In a perfect world, long-term care would be a place where people could do the activities that they want, eat food that they like, see people that they care about. And in some cases, that is true. And there are good facilities in our province and there's good staff working in them. In general, however, in my experience with some family members, there is not nearly enough choice. It's a structured way of living. And if people want something that's outside of that structure it's harder to get those needs met. So on the one hand, the person is safe, hopefully not falling, getting fed, getting their medication. That's great, but that is not all that there is to quality of life. So we would hope that all facilities would be more responsive to the residents' needs and wants. Absolutely. And we've talked about that with some members of the Action for Reform of Residential Care, which I'm connected to and I know um, that you know well about. Um, But right now, I'm thinking coming out of the discussion on housing broadly, that one of and accessibility, one of the questions that comes to mind is BC's Accessibility Act and any thoughts you may have about that changes that would be helpful. Anything on that question? Right. So BC passed an Accessibility Act a couple of years ago, and the idea is that this will cover all aspects of accessibility within the community for people with disabilities. But of course, there's a lot of crossover with the needs that seniors have, and they're defining disability very broadly under the Act. So it's anybody who has a change in function that might require something slightly different than what we would consider the the average or the norm. So at this point... There are a prescribed list of organizations that are required to follow the act. They have to have an accessibility committee to advise the organization on issues around accessibility, disability, and related topics. Uh, they have to have a plan around how to 
address accessibility, and they have to have a feedback mechanism so that people can put in concerns or compliments as well uh, about accessibility that the organization is then required to address. At this point, the province is working on the regulations that will determine exactly how the act is rolled out. So I'm on one of the subcommittees with the province to advise the province on the regulations around service delivery for disability issues. Heather, can I just ask, um, so when you say the, the regulations to roll out, although we have the act now, is in fact it being implemented in some way or is it waiting for regulation? So the first part has been implemented, and that's the prescribed organizations and their accessibility committees. The next step is exactly what organizations will be required to do. And we don't know yet exactly what that's going to look like. I could make some guesses. So we have talked about things like service animals, support persons, um, access to information about accessibility, websites, communication, uh, finances. There's been a lot of topics discussed. We don't know the specifics yet um, until the province announces them sometime next year. There will be an opportunity at that point for citizens to respond and to provide feedback on the regulations. So I know that's a lot of babble gab <laughs> using government talk. Basically, what it comes down to is we don't know yet exactly what accessibility will be required. It will be more than we currently have. It may not be as much as most of us want. So the committee that your organization sits on is giving advice to the government about what those regulations ought to be? That's right. And so are there particular things that you can share with us about what you're trying to ensure are in those regulations? Uh, so I can't say a huge amount because ah. it's confidential okay. at this point. Okay. But the one that I'm on is around service delivery. So it's any organization or business or government entity that provides service to an individual within BC. They will be required to follow Uh, a set of regulations um, to encourage accessibility. So there is the, so what are the other sort of subgroups? Are they, are there others that you're familiar with? Yeah, there's a second one right now, which is around accessible employment. So looking at um, employees and accommodations within the workplace, but also training for employers Mm. to hopefully allow them to understand the ways that disabled employees can um, be part of the organization and contribute to the organization and be realistic hires. Okay. So right now, then, there are a list of organizations that are must comply with the Accessibility Act. And we're now working to have more detail about what exactly has to happen. Would that also include, and maybe you can't speak to this yet, but would it also include mechanisms for ensuring, as some of the things we've been working on in long-term care, is about enforcement and reporting back and consistent reporting from all home long-term care facilities, um, addressing the requirements that exist. So there will definitely be reporting mechanisms. We don't know exactly what those will look like. Uh, With the prescribed organizations, so cities, school districts, regional districts, and similar types, uh, I believe it's every three years that they will have to report on their accessibility improvements. Not sure yet about the healthcare system and how that will be impacted. Uh, Like I said, there's a lot of uncertainty at this point about exactly what it will look like. I think most of us assumed when the act was passed that we would see change quite quickly. And of Mm -hmm. course, that's not how government and legislation typically work, which is why we're having conversation with lots of big words and um, lots of difficulty getting down to the details of what we want to see improved. I was just going to say, as a disabled person, I find that incredibly frustrating because I want to see the change today. (laughs) Absolutely. And apologies if I asked this previously. I don't think I did. Is there a timeline by which the regulations need to be finalized and in place? Not as far as I know. I think 2024 is when they will be rolled out in their first phase. But beyond that, I'm not sure. I know other provinces have put timelines on and then have not met them. So BC is trying to be a little bit more flexible with that part of it. Okay, fair enough. 
unless it means mm-hmm. there's delay, delay, delay. And well, that's the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we'll take another quick break and then come back and carry on with some of these uh, important discussions with Heather Lamb. Live Well Prince George Society has monthly free events for their arthritis support group. Each month is something different. An event designed for those suffering from arthritis to meet, have fun, and share tips and experiences with others battling through the degenerative affliction. The next get-together is 12 Days of Thriving, a sharing of tips and tools for the group, Wednesday, December 27th. For more information, check out the website, livewellpg.ca. Hope for Women has several clients and their families handpicked as recipients for a Christmas hamper this year. To help out one of these clients, email princegeorge at hopeforwomen.ca with a message, I want to sponsor a Prince George family for Christmas. Send me the list in the subject line. You'll then be paired with a family that fits your budget, sent a list of items to be purchased, and given drop-off instructions. More information is available at the Prince George office of Hope for Women's Pregnancy Services. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Well, we're back with Heather Lamb. And uh, I think related to some of our discussion so far is the question of building codes. And I wondered if you might want to share a little bit about some of the issues um, that come up in relation to building codes. For sure. So we often hear from people who are new to disability or to seniors issues that there are building codes, therefore everything is accessible. Mm. When in fact, the building codes are a little bit more complicated than that. Older buildings had to comply with the code that was relevant when the building was built, which is why older buildings have different levels of accessibility or none at all compared to newer buildings. But the other thing people don't realize is that housing is actually not really included in the code in terms of accessibility. There are things you have to meet in terms of plumbing and uh, other things that I don't understand, mm-hmm. uh, important things, but accessibility is actually not one of them. Uh, in multifamily housing, common areas have to be accessible, which is great, that's part of it, but units themselves are actually not required to be accessible unless there's another piece of legislation passed by a municipality or a province to require extra um, accessibility. So in BC, we are seeing new buildings going up that are meeting code that are not properly accessible. They have that level entry into the common areas. They may even have wider doorways or maybe even a bathroom in the common area that's somewhat accessible. The units themselves are often not. So the whole question of what is accessibility I think is one that maybe we should go into a bit because I think many people think the building codes do require accessibility. So what is accessibility? So that depends on who you're asking. I'm asking you. (laughs) (laughs) So accessibility for a manual chair user, for example, is quite different than access for a power chair user or somebody who's using a walker or somebody using a white cane. So the building codes do have accessibility built in for common and public areas, but not for individual housing units in the way that we would expect. We have national standards around accessible housing. I worked on them last year. They're actually pretty good, but they're not required in BC unless a developer chooses to uh, go the extra distance and do things properly. Wow, not required. Now that I did not know. So what can we do about that? I guess that's another opportunity to advocate with our MLAs. And I'm expecting lots of calls to the MLAs. (laughs) Flood them with this information. But yes, we need to be working with the province to encourage them to improve building codes to require some of these accessibility features. And we're not talking about making housing look like a hospital or look like a long-term care facility. Accessibility can be done in a seamless way that can be just as beautiful as a house with stairs. It's just done with a little bit more thought, a little bit more space in the bathroom, slightly wider doorways. And honestly, if you've ever moved a couch into a house or up a set of stairs, you will appreciate those wider doorways and that level entrance. So we can do a lot better. We know how to do better. It can still be beautiful and functional, but we need to require the province to, well, to require it. (laughs) So it sounds like those kinds of things, like slightly wider uh, doorways, um, other related changes, would not necessarily be more expensive if they were just part of the planning. 
That's right. There's a very tiny initial cost for a wider doorway because it's slightly bigger than the standard that they typically put in. If everybody required it, the cost would per unit would come down. But the cost is so small that most home buyers would never notice the difference. In fact, people spend more on things like marble countertops or granite or whatever the popular thing is these days, but they won't spend the money on accessibility unless it's already included. If you try and renovate after the fact for those things, though, it's incredibly expensive. So if we require developers to do it today, we will save ourselves money down the road, not only in terms of finances, but also in terms of healthcare, uh, preventing falls, preventing hospital admissions, preventing long-term care admissions. There's a whole range of things that we'll benefit from, but we have to make the decision today to do it. So the example of wider doorways is is one. But I'm wondering what the other, some other examples might be of what that would look like if developers were able to include these things from the get-go. Yeah, a few simple things like having a slightly bigger bathroom so that a person using a wheelchair can go in, turn around and close the door and do their business. Uh, also things like putting uh, wood blocks behind the toilet and around the tub or shower. What so is that? that? Wood? W- wooden blocks. Okay. So that grab bars can be added more easily oh. down the road. Never Simple would have things, thought yeah. of that. Never would have thought of that. So it just sets you up exactly. for needs that potentially may come. And how difficult could that be? It couldn't be that expensive. No, if you do it from day one, you, nobody will ever notice the extra cost. Wow. But if you try and put a grab bar onto the wrong kind of wall, then you might end up with difficulties. Okay. So anyway, there's just a lot of things that maybe maybe even our elected representatives um, are not really aware of what small changes could actually be huge differences for people's lives. For sure. And I think the more that different voices tell them these things, the better it will be. They've certainly been hearing it across the province from organizations like Spinal Cord Injury BC and many others. Mm -hmm. But the more individual people who can bring this up and say, hey, we want a home with no stairs or we want a home that we could put grab bars into. We want choice and safety in our housing then that's what will create change. The thing that has impacted me the most is thinking about if these things were required and done up front, that in fact, this is not a bigger expense. Very minor uh, changes that would have to be made. And then every place would have that level of accessibility. So when we here often it's that these things would just cost too much yeah and i think people are thinking about the upfront cost for a renovation mm-hmm. when they're work, they're considering the finances but if you build it in from day one it's a lot easier it's a lot cheaper and it wouldn't it shouldn't be an issue for any of us i, I wouldn't think to just have those possibilities a wider door i mean that sounds fine it doesn't sound like anything that could cause any challenge for anybody. It would just mean that we had, we knew that if there was a time when we had a wheelchair, that we could still stay where we were. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so many things that uh, you don't necessarily think about because you're right. We hear about how much it will cost to do the renovations. And as I was saying to you before we came on, I was looking into something like that in terms of grab bars or a different bathtub and all those things that if they had been done up front, I wouldn't even have to have the conversation, would I? I'd have the blocks there by the toilet to be able to have some grab bars there. I'd be ready to ready to roll and it wouldn't be a huge expense. Whereas now, when you look at getting some of those things, it's really expensive. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. Well, thank you for giving us a sense about the building code and how we can, our voices could make a difference about this because it seems pretty logical to me. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. So one of the other questions that I'd like us to get into, maybe we may have a, a break first, but is the question of transportation, which I know is a huge one for people who have some physical mobility issues seniors and others in our community and across the province. So once we come back from break, maybe we could get into that a little bit.
Sure. Okay, thanks. Ukulele players and carol singers unite for a special Jingle Bell Rock event at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library on December 19th. Spread some cheer and make a joyful noise with a multi-generational ukulele jam and sing-along. It's a free drop-in event for ukulele players and singers of all ages and skill levels. Come out and take part in the sound of the season, December 19th from 4.30 to 5.30. The Jingle Bell Rock at the downtown public library, December 19th from 4.30 to 5.30. Tickets are now on sale for the popular Kiwanis Ale Fest weekend, January 26th and 27th. This 19-plus event features three tasting sessions held at Two Rivers Gallery and a cask beer crawl at select downtown establishments. There's also a silent auction, a 50-50 draw, plus music and art. Volunteers are also needed for the Kiwanis Ale Fest, January 26th and 27th. To help out or for tickets, which are still available for the Saturday afternoon tasting session, visit kiwanisalefest.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny today, winds from the south at 20 gusts to 40, a high of 7. Increasing cloudiness tonight, winds from the south at 20 becoming light late this evening, a low of minus 3. For Wednesday, clearing in the morning, wind at 15K, a high of 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 5. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with Heather Lamb from Spinal Cord Injury BC talking about questions that are are both relevant to folks with various kinds of physical limitations that may need to, to be addressed more appropriately than they are currently. And that includes older adults as well who um, simply, you know, like me, I just had a couple of knee replacements. There's some stuff that would be helpful at my house for me too. <laughs> but one of the other big issues that we haven't talked about yet is transportation. And I'm wondering, Heather, if you could share a little bit about the concerns, the, the things that are being worked on, things that are working well in terms of transportation. Well, transportation is one of my favorite topics. As a person who has never had a driver's license, and let's be honest, will never be able to get one, it's something that is very close to my heart. But it's also bigger than just public transit. Anybody who's tried to take public transit in Prince George will know that it works pretty well when the weather is good. Hmm. It is problematic in the winter. Uh, not so much because of late buses, although that is a bit of an issue, but because we have sidewalks that are not properly cleared. Uh, so getting to the bus stop is actually the biggest challenge. I quite regularly have to climb over four-foot snowbanks to get on the bus. I'm capable of that at my age and current physical condition. Uh, as long as I can see the snowbank, I can climb over it. But that is not the reality for a lot of people. Consequently, people stay home a lot more in the winter than they would if they had access to independent transportation. So part of it is snow clearing. Uh, part of it is proper snow clearing. So yes, there's a sidewalk plow that plows the uh, main sidewalks, but it doesn't plow well for use by people who are wheelchair users, using canes, walkers, white canes, any of those things. Uh, curd cuts tend to be full of ice in the winter, making them quite dangerous. And a lot of people simply choose not to use the bus system in the winter. So that's one of the issues. Uh, summer issue with the buses, a lot of potholes in our sidewalks, a lot of missing curb cuts so that wheelchair users can't actually get onto the sidewalks, and a very bumpy ride if they are able to get onto the sidewalks. People like me fall on the sidewalks in the summer because of the potholes. There's a number of issues, and that is a, sorry, that's a municipal responsibility, that's City of Prince George, and we need to be advocating more strongly with the city to make our transportation network better. So yes, we need better buses and more frequent buses. We also need to be able to get to the bus stops. But of course, transportation isn't just about public transportation. It's also about having access to the right vehicle for a person's needs. So things like hand controls for somebody who doesn't have the use of their legs, a wheelchair lift to get into a vehicle. Those are incredibly expensive and are actually not covered in our system unless a person has a job and needs the vehicle to get to work. Excuse me. So otherwise, people are required to pay out of pocket and you're talking about an extra... $40,000 for a vehicle with a a lift system. Wow. 
That's a huge amount of money on top of the cost of the vehicle itself. I had no idea it was that expensive. It's incredibly expensive. <sighs> Even if you're buying used, you're going to be paying a fair bit of that cost because it's just so, so high. So there's that. But there's also the fact that when a person gets where they're going, how do they get out of their vehicle? We don't have a lot of accessible parking and we have very limited enforcement of the parking placards. So if somebody parks in an accessible parking spot who doesn't have a placard, there's not a lot that people can do about it. Mm. And having been on the receiving end with coworkers when we have gotten blocked in by people who were not following the parking rules, I can't help because I can't drive the vehicle and my colleagues need the extra space to get into the vehicle with their chairs we're stuck until somebody comes along who can move a vehicle for us. Wow. And that's putting a lot of uh, trust in a stranger or waiting a long time for uh, somebody that we know to come along and move the vehicle. So these are all issues that come up quite regularly. And let's be honest, impact seniors as well, because accessible parking is huge for people who maybe are using a walker, have a little bit less energy than they did when they were younger. Being able to park close or not have to navigate snow and ice too much in the winter, these are the things that make or break a person's outing. What about access to things like handy dart or taxi savers? Handy dart is very, very good as long as a person can plan in advance exactly where they're going to go and when they're going to go there. So planning, say, for a doctor's appointment, you have to decide in advance how long it's going to take to see that doctor because you have to book your return trip at least 24 hours in advance and better. Uh, the longer in advance you can do it, the better. So people are forced to... Well, people can't be spontaneous. You can't go out because you feel sick today or because you want to go have fun today. Or you someone called you and said, let's go for coffee. Exactly. That's not happening. So people are forced to make a lot of plans that the rest of society doesn't have to make. And people are forced to sit around a lot waiting for the handy dart to arrive. Because if you are late for a handy dart, you get a strike against you, three strikes and you're out. Because there are a lot of people who want to use the system, who need to use the system, they can't be waiting around for people who are late, which is understandable, but it also makes it very hard to use the system effectively. Uh, we do have a couple of wheelchair taxis in Prince George. They typically are booked up in advance. So again, trying to make plans or trying to do something, say, on Christmas Day is really hard because everybody else wants to use those taxis as well. And it means that people can't be as spontaneous or to do the things that they want to do. And that would be the taxi savers that you can get through the handy dart system? Yes, you can save up to 50% for a percentage of your trips per month. But you have to find a taxi that's accessible and available. Yes, that's right. Oh, boy. The one thing that you said that really hit me was um, the question of people when you were talking about the buses, people not going out to things and maybe not, well, and also the spontaneity of being able to go out if I said, hey, Heather, let's have coffee. Um, it occurs to me, uh, coming from a social work background, as you do as well, the impact that not going out can have on the mental health and well-being of older adults. Being isolated, we know that impacts people's well-being. Not even just their, their mental health and well-being, but it can impact their physical health as well. Yeah, it can impact everything. I think people have to make very difficult decisions about when and how they're going to go out, particularly in the winter where you have the added challenge of snow and ice and darkness. And often the easiest option is for people to just stay home, which is maybe okay if they have a lot of close neighbors that can come visit or friends or family that are nearby. Maybe that's acceptable, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, but for people who are living alone or who don't have a lot of family nearby or who just want to go out and be social like everybody else does. Yes then people are definitely impacted by that. And I've seen and heard people talk to me about how isolated they feel. Uh, we saw an uptick of that during COVID when nobody was going out. Mm -hmm. And I think it gave the general public a very tiny glimpse into what it might be like for people who can't go out on a regular basis. Unfortunately, I think that lesson has been forgotten. Very good point. Absolutely. Thinking about just each one of us can think about the impact of, of COVID regulations on our own lives and then think about the added 
impact if that was always the case. It's it's hard, it's actually hard to imagine being in that restricted situation. We have to take a break now, but one thing I would hope that maybe we could get into a teeny bit is intercity transportation. Okay, after the break. Lunch is served Monday through Friday at the Spruce Capital Senior Center. Their cook posts the menu daily with at least two types of soup and two types of sandwiches available. Egg salad and grilled cheese sandwiches are regularly served. Cost is just $6 for a sandwich or soup and a bun, or get soup and a sandwich for $10. The Spruce Capital Senior Center, open for lunch Monday through Friday, across from Rainbow Park at the corner of Rainbow and Liard Drives. The Seniors Resource Center has plenty of programs and support services for those 55 plus. An affordable lunch can be delivered through Meals on Wheels, non-medical needs can be covered through Better at Home, and the Housing and Community Navigator can help locate housing and other valuable resources. Call 250-564-5888 for more information or stop by the Prince George Council Seniors Resource Center between 9 and 3, Monday through Friday at 1335th Avenue. This is Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with Heather Lamb from the BC Spinal Cord Injury Organization and talking about transportation. The one part that we haven't touched on yet is intercity transportation. And I think about that both in terms of social connection, but also in terms of service requirements, especially for people who are a little bit outside of, say, Prince George, since we're talking from Prince George. For sure. Transportation into the community is absolutely huge. Uh, I used to ride Greyhound a fair bit back in the day, and it always got me where I wanted to go. It's much more challenging now because we have a patchwork system. We do have buses in all four directions from Prince George. They don't run every day. They don't always meet up with the bus to get to the next section of communities. Uh, so it's not as good as Greyhound was, but it is definitely better than not having anything at all. Um, I think people have to make hard decisions about where and how to live if they need access to transportation. That's a lot more challenging for somebody who has always had a vehicle and is aging into not being able to drive for whatever reason. That's a much harder decision to make. For me, not a big deal. I've never driven. I don't really care about driving. Uh, but for somebody who's having to make that change later in life, that's a very difficult process for people to go through. I've seen family go through it. I've seen friends go through it. And it it impacts how a person feels about their independence. Even though we know people can be independent without a driver's license, it's a hard transition for people to make. Absolutely. And I hear from folks who either... Um, to visit relatives or friends or who need to come into town for various appointments. And the cost, even though, as you point out, there is this patchwork, they're not all connected, the timing doesn't always work, and the amount of resources that may have to be spent to stay here potentially overnight, or even if it just means, you know, multiple meals that are at a restaurant, all things that can really impact the pocketbook in in a way that many folks just can't deal with. Mm -hmm. I think one of the positive changes is the health bus is actually open to seniors or anybody using a mobility device. So that would be, I, I would recommend that as the first option for people who need to travel to surrounding communities. It's fairly frequent. It's not perfect, uh, but it's a good service and it's by far the cheapest service. So if people fall into those categories of being a senior and or using a mobility device, that should be your first call. We've also got BC Bus North. We have BC BC Transit on certain routes, and then there's, I think it's called eBus that goes down to Kamloops and to Vancouver if you're not able to fly. So there are a few different options, but again, it is that patchwork. Absolutely. Well, you know, Heather, we're getting to the end of the show, which I can't believe, but we are. And I really would like to spend a few minutes talking about, you know, what what does advocacy mean? The advocacy that you're doing, but also just for for people who are listening, what kinds of things we've talked about getting in touch with your MLA, but what kinds of things people can potentially engage in? And then we'd like to hear more again about how people can get in touch with Spinal Cord Injury BC. Sure. So I think anytime a person has a concern, a comment, a complaint or a compliment about a service provided by a government, 
it is our right to advocate for change for better. So if it's something that matters to you personally or matters to your families, that is the opportunity to advocate because we will not see change unless enough of the electorate make a noise. And that noise can be made in a number of ways. I'm on the quieter end of the spectrum. So my advocacy typically involves having meetings and writing letters, behind the scenes types of things. Other people are more extroverted and like the louder um, advocacy of maybe going to marches, protests, um, talking to the media, getting out there and gathering large groups of people together to try and advocate for change. Both are right. They're both good ways to create change and to try and advocate. Uh, but we need to get our voices out there to let our governments know that these are services that we are paying for. And as users of the services, we have a pretty good idea of what's working and what isn't, what needs to change. We are the ones who should be putting that information out there and insisting that our governments start listening or continue to listen in some cases and start making those changes. Absolutely. I think the points that you've just made kind of align with how I look at it. I look at us doing what I say I call day-to-day or individual advocacy that's about maybe particular situations or policies that we do by having our voices heard through channels like letter writing, advocacy, um, uh, in terms of maybe a petition or sitting on a committee, which I know you sit on many, I sit on some myself. And then, and those things are often both about systemic change and about individual issues that may arise, particular situations that people face. Then there is the broader kind of advocacy that brings together people from the community in a more visible way. And I think that also, as you pointed out, has a significant role to get the ear of those who have the possibility of making those changes. I guess for me, I think that um, having that voice, that collective voice is kind of, it's our right. We are the, we are the people of this country or this province or this city and our voice and as you pointed out our experience on the ground we know the things that aren't working that should be central to any kind of um, elected government of any form to, to feel a responsibility to hear those voices and to respect that we have we have on the ground knowledge about these things what is working and what isn't so really appreciate the work that you and others are doing both in terms of advocacy that we may not see but it's happening or the things that we do see um, within the community. And on that note, I would like it if you could, again, let people know both the contact information and the kinds of things that you're able to advocate for on their behalf. Sure, I'll give the phone numbers first. 250-563-6942. That's the local spinal cord injury office. We also have a 1-800 number. I'm often the one who answers it. one 800 689-2477. And we also have a website. If you Google Spinal Cord Injury BC, that's the easiest way to find it. And we are more than happy to answer questions related to housing, finances, disability, accessibility, um, laws around accessibility, advocacy, um, access to equipment for your home, maybe a bath bench. We can tell you where to buy one. All of those types of things. We're open to pretty much any question. So if someone is calling you and um, has a question, are you able to do some follow-up with them as well? So if you suggest that they perhaps go to a certain place or do a certain thing, are, are they able to connect back with you and let you know? So do you get a sense of the successes in terms of the work that you're doing? I always encourage people to get in touch again. We don't always hear back, so I don't always hear the end of the story. Uh, but quite often I do. And sometimes it's a really positive story. And sometimes it's a person who's really frustrated that the things that I suggested didn't work or that the system isn't meeting their needs. But either way, I want to hear from people because that helps inform the next time that I make suggestions for people. 
Thank you very much for joining us today, Heather. Very much appreciated. And as your work, you know, you know, continues and some of these changes um, develop, maybe even the Accessibility Act implementation, we can hopefully have you back on to talk a bit more about it. And if there's ever anyone that you're working with who would like to join you and talk about their experience of, you know, accessing advocacy and the successes or challenges that came, perhaps we could do that at another point as well. So thanks again for joining us. Heather Lamb from uh, Spinal Cord Injury BC. Thanks very much. And we'll see you uh, or hear you next time on uh, Senior Moments where we'll be having guests from NIDIS, which is uh, the a registry and uh, advocacy organization that uh, helps people learn about how to get representation agreements and be able to ensure that their voice is represented if they can't represent themselves and that they get to pick who does that. So it's NIDA's personal planning and registry, and we'll have two guests from there, one from Prince George and one from the provincial organization. So look forward to hearing them and visiting with all of you next week. Senior Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFIS-FM and the Prince George Council of Seniors. Senior Moments is produced by Sharon Hurd. Theme music is courtesy of Golf Brooks Music. Catch the rebroadcast of today's show tonight at 9 or replay past shows through the podcast at cfisfm.ca. You're tuned to Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM, proudly supported by community groups like Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza.